everybody, it's Sam Bennett. Thank you so much for joining me for the True Freedom Symposium, the when, what, why, and how to quit your day job and what's really on the other side. This interview features the great Ed O'Neill. You may know him from shows like Married with Children or Modern Family. I know him as one of my best friends for the last almost 20 years. Hi, everybody. It's Sam Hello. Bennett with television's Ed O'Neill. <laughs> Thanks so much for doing this with oh, me. Oh, no, it'll be fun. All right. So I wanted Ed on this partly because he's super famous and it's cool to have famous people on your thing, but also because he's got one of the best stories about leaving the thing you know and going into the thing you don't know that uh, I've ever heard. I hope it's... Right, gonna measure up to <laughs> the big hype. Great story. Because you, so tell them about how you grew up in Youngstown, yeah. right? So, well, you know, Youngstown, Ohio was uh, was not so much today. It was a steel mill town, a lot of labor unions and so forth. My father worked in the mills. My grandfather worked in the mills, and my two brothers worked in the mills, and I worked in the mills, mostly in between college, right out of high school, and so. And you didn't do any acting in. I did in high school. In high school. Well, actually, a little in grade school, too. Yeah. I was a shepherd Aww. in a play. And I think I was I was a, a part of a, a flock of sheep. Okay. Catholic school, you know. Yeah. So, anyway, um, so I played football. I, I started playing football uh, in high school, and then I went on to college and played football for a couple of schools. And then I went, I had a shot with the Pittsburgh Steelers in 69, Chuck Knoll's first year. You may remember Chuck Knoll, four Super Bowls. I was not on the team. I was released before all that. But anyway, uh, then I went to Florida to bellhop. You know, just I didn't know what to do with myself. I ended up coming back to Youngstown. And then I was really wondering what I was going to do. And I got a job teaching part-time in the inner city school system as a substitute teacher. <clears throat> and uh, and then um, I was sort of at, at sea, and I was really kind of lost. I didn't know what, what I was going to do. There wasn't a lot of opportunity. There wasn't a lot of things I wanted to do in Youngstown. I knew I didn't want to go back in the steel mills. So I ended up getting a job at the, at the university in their um, uh, student center. Mm -hmm. And it was, a, it was a pub. It was an actual bar. It was 3-2 beer sandwiches but I was the manager and it was a civil service job huh. I mean you know I was a bartender but the problem was it only paid about 10,000 a year and I was you know 27 by this time you know and I had been acting in the local playhouse and and at also at the university I've been, I'd been doing plays and um, <clears throat> so you know, I was sort of like saying, geez, I got to, if I'm going to, and I really loved acting. I really enjoyed it. And I thought, I've got to make a move here pretty soon, though, because if you don't, this is, you know, this is it. So I had a lunch break, uh, and I went up to this place called the Golden Dawn, which was a family-run, uh, operated restaurant, the Naples Brothers. It had been there since 1931. Um, my grandfather went there, my father went there, you know, it was a neighborhood thing and, and it, it was almost connected to the high school. There were huge sports fans and it was a great lunch place. So anyway, I was up there and they had kind of like a, a, like a bar that was like, like a horseshoe almost. And I went and I ordered lunch and I was sitting at the bar and I knew most of the people at the bar and I was just sort of, you know, here you are, you're just looking down the bar. Hi, John, and you know that I saw, and it was sort of, it seemed to me, my memory, that 
there was an age range as I was going down, you know, to getting older as they went around. And at the end, there was like a 77-year-old there. And I thought, well, that could be me going around, you know. I mean, if I don't leave, I'm just going to keep moving down a stool a year. So uh, there were no cell phones in those days. So I called. I, I asked for a quarter. I need change for the payphone. And uh, Ralph, one of the owners, gave me the change. And I went and called my boss at the university, the student center. And I said, uh, KJ uh, said, and she goes, are you late? Are you coming back late? I said, well, no, but I, I want to get this. I want to say this before I lose my courage, you know. Uh, I want to give my two weeks notice. And she said, what? Now, they were kind of anxious to get rid of me, as the truth be told. I was not the greatest manager and uh, employee. But she said, uh, really? And I said, yeah, I, you know. I'm given it. I've given it by two weeks' notice. And she said, hang on. So I waited, like 15 seconds. You know, I just spoke to Phil. Phil was the main boss. You know, you know, you, you know, you can quit today and we'll give you the two-week notice. <laughs> That's how bad they want me out. And I said, uh, Here's your hat, what's your hurry? <laughs> okay, you know, I got the keys to the pub, you know. And, well, just drop them off. And uh, thank you very much. I said, okay. So I hung up. I went. I paid my check. Ralph, I got in the car, drove down to the university, walked right into the office, gave him the keys. She said, good luck. <laughs> and that was it. And then I just, and then I, I, you know, sold everything that I had and I uh, went to New York. And it was not like all roses and sunshine immediately when you got to New York. Oh, no. And what I left out of my little story was that I had. When I got cut by the Steelers, I I, uh, I don't want to bore you with the whole story. I developed uh, an anxiety disorder, mm. um, panic attacks, and they were and, and you know it was kind of hereditary. My mother had them; it ran in her family, and I had them. And I really got to a point where I couldn't leave the North Side wow. of Youngstown. I couldn't leave. I mean, I thought I couldn't leave, yeah, because every time I would cross a certain a latitude mark I would have a panic attack and I would do anything to avoid them because you feel like you're going to die oh well, no I'm dying yeah. I'm dying yeah. I'm dying so I can't go so uh, and that was that compounded the, the, the problem and I also knew a couple of older guys in the neighborhood who had that very same problem one couldn't cross the Market Street Bridge one couldn't you know there were these these limitations and I never understood them until I started having the same problem. And then I thought, oh, my God, they're, they haven't fixed it. You know, they're still right. on the north side. And I thought, well, I had to make a decision. I had to say, well, I, I don't know that I can survive if I go off the north side, let alone New York City. Uh, but I was so desperate. I mean, I, I just thought, you know, I'd rather die. I think I'd rather die than live like this anymore. So that was, that was it. And then of course, yeah, you're, it was a rocky road because there were many, many, you know, I'd be on a subway, you know, in Manhattan alone at night and I'm going, can't breathe, you know, and then I, and you know, it was funny because where before I would, I would run back to my house. Mm -hmm. 
and then I would feel safe. I didn't have that. So the cure, you know, is then die. And that's what I would say. Every time I got one, I would say, well, I'm, I'm 500 miles from Youngstown. I'm going to just have to die. And then I never died. I mean, I just and didn't you just die. keep breathing through the she, feeling of them dying. Yeah, I just kept going on. And finally, they get less and less and less and less. And, uh, and I just kept going. And then, of course, in New York, when I got an acting job, you know, you, gotta, you go on stage. It's 1,100 people at the Helen Hayes Theater. You, you, you don't have the luxury of a panic attack. <laughs> no. And, uh, and oddly enough, I never had one on stage. Really? Yeah. I have no, no idea why that was. But um, I never did have one. And then, um, you know, you'd get a job, say, on the West Coast, dead of winter. you got to go to LaGuardia and get on a jet. And I think, I don't like to fly. I used to tell myself I can't get on the jet. I used to tell friends of mine I can't, I can't fly. And they all took that as a, you know, okay, you know. And then I had one friend that I used it on, I can't fly, and he said, you mean you won't fly? And I said, no, I can't fly. He said, wait, let me get this straight. You can't get on the plane? I said, well, I can get on the plane. You know, I was getting angry quickly. I can get on the plane, but then I'll die. He said, well, but then you'll still fly. And, and I was so goddamn mad at him. One of my best friends, by the way. And then... Afterwards, that evening, I was thinking, you know what, he's, he's right. I can get on the plane. Then we have to see. So I started doing that stuff. And uh, I beat it. So there's so much that I love about this story. I love the image of just like aging around. Oh yeah, around the, the bar. Shop. Around the bar. Yeah. Around the bar, like, yeah. and just sort of seeing your future spread out before you and going, I just can't. I just can't. I can't bear this. I can't. And then taking the moment and going, I need a quarter. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta I make a move. Right I now. didn't. I think it, I, I didn't overthink it. Mm -hmm. You know, I just said, well, I gotta go. Yeah. You know, and, and, and this... whatever's out there, whatever happens to me out there. I'll, I'll take my chances here. Yeah, yeah. And I think this feeling of, of death, of imminent death, which happens all the time. Oh, yeah, every day. You know, that uh, the surrender to that of like, well, then I'll, then apparently I'll die. Yeah. And then this is how it will end. But at least yeah, I won't be cowering in a corner. Exactly. And that, that seemed to comfort me a lot, that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't giving into it. I remember one time I was, uh, I was working as a busboy in Manhattan, in a restaurant called Dobson's on the Upper West Side. Dead of winter, got off at $40 a shift. And I was living in a resident hotel that used to be grand, a grand hotel, and now it was like an old age uh, for retirees, mm -hmm. you know, on pensions. And I was renting a room by the week on the 11th floor. And I remember coming, walking down from like where the museum cafe was and the Natural History Museum, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. coming down 79th Street, going west towards the Hudson. And it was so cold. And I had bought in, a, in an Army-Navy store, uh, you've seen them, you know, these Air Force jackets with the bullet in the, okay. there's a bullet, in, you know, uh -huh. sewed in. It's, yeah. it's a, um, I don't know, traditional, I guess. But anyway, it wasn't warm enough. You know, they're $35. <laughs> And it's freezing cold in Manhattan, and as I'm coming down 79th Street, the wind off the Hudson, that's a wide avenue. Yeah. It's coming straight on. And it was hitting me 
in the chest, and I was, you know, my head down. I thought, I've got four blocks to go. And I started hearing, like, these noises. And I thought, what the hell's going on? And I realized it was me. Oh, no. It was these <laughs> whimperings, you know. And I thought, oh, my God. And I got to my room, and I went up. It was, I think it was on the 11th floor. And I uh, was hungry. So I had a little, I, I didn't have a kitchen. I had a hot plate and a little fridge. And I had some chicken salad and a bagel, cream cheese from a deli. Very good, by the way. That's good stuff. 86th and Broadway. And uh, I made myself a little, you know, bagel, half a bagel. And I uh, had something hot to drink. And I sat there and you could hear the traffic way down below. And I can remember thinking it was very quiet. The radiator, I mm. heard. And I thought, oh, man, this is lonely. I'm lonely. Not lonely, alone. Mm -hmm. But still I thought, I've never, I've never experienced this in my life, you know. I always had family around, friends around. This was a whole other experience. And I, and I said to myself, well, you can go home tomorrow. But then I thought, there's nothing back there for me. You know, it was almost like, like no choice, you know, there's nothing there. So, uh, and the next day I wake up, the sun might have been shining. I made another day, you know, I'd get up and I'd go my way and make my rounds. And uh, I just kept going. It was, it was basically one foot in front of the other. Well, this is the whole, and not just one foot in front of the other, but the other story that I want you to tell is the reading at Playwrights Horizon that then the casting director saw you for Popeye Doyle, for, for, um, the Miami Brett Vice and then Popeye Doyle? Oh, yeah. Well, it wasn't a reading. It was a play. Uh -huh. It was, a, it was a, kind of an experimental play at Playwrights Horizon, which is a very nice little... But they weren't calling you in for it. No. No, they weren't. Oh, oh, I see where you're going with yeah, this. Yeah, uh, yeah. When you saw the guy on the yeah. street? No, no, no. I had been to an audition. Okay. I, I think it was a commercial audition. I was At that time, I was with an agency called ICM. And I was down on 42nd Street, down by where the act, that big actor's building mm -hmm. down there. You know what I mean? still there. And anyway, uh, I was walking up 42nd Street, and in front of me, I saw this actor who's, uh, he's still working, by the way. I still see him around. I don't know his name. I used to. Anyway, we were often up for the same roles, and I saw him scurrying down the street, you know, and I said, hey, and he turned, and, he, and I saw that he was shocked, in a sense, in a way, and I, I said, where are you coming from? You know, and I knew he, you know, he was coming from an audition or going to one, uh -huh. and he didn't want to tell me. Uh, he said, oh, no, no, I'm just, you know, I'm out here, I had coffee, I met a friend, and I thought, lie, lie. <laughs> and then he went on his way, and there was, again, a payphone, and I called, and I said, what's going on down here by 42nd Street? Uh, Playwrights Horizons is right here. And he said, oh, yeah, well, there's a play, and it's being directed by this woman who was pretty famous at the time, and it's this playwright who's a girl who also has got some heat on her and uh and i said is there a role for me well not really it's uh, there's, you have to play three different parts and i said what kind of parts they told me i said i can do that i said i think this guy I just ran into came out of there we're always up for the same thing oh well we'll call if you insist i said call them i'm right here so they called and they said sure send them in so i went in read got the part was not a great play. It was better at the beginning. They made it worse. But anyway, uh, the casting director from Miami Vice 
and I can't think of her name. She, it was her and her sister. Anyway, she came to the play, saw me. Oh, Bonnie and Bonnie, Dad. Bonnie Timmerman. Yeah, yeah. Bonnie Timmerman saw me, called my agent, said, "Look, we've got this thing, uh, this new show called Miami Vice, in shooting in Florida, shooting in Miami. Michael Mann directing the pilot, huh. and now it's a series with Don Johnson and Philip uh, Michael Thomas, was that something like that, yeah." Uh, it's a lead role. It's 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 the guest starring role, and uh, I thought, oh, I've got the part. No, you know, no, you have to audition for it. So I went in, and Bruce Willis was in there. You know, there was a lot of actors that I knew in there. So I read for it, got the part, because she had seen me in this play that I got as you mm -hmm. set up, lucky by luck. And then I went to Miami, and then I did that, and then Bob Singer saw that on TV. Uh, who produced and wrote Popeye Doyle, cast me in Popeye Doyle. Again, I had to do a few things. I had to go to a thrift shop and get the pork pie hat and the whole thing, you know. Oh. I went in dressed like Popeye Doyle. And um, that was it. Yeah. I mean, I never looked back. I, I just then one thing after another after another. But, you know, it was... It, it, it's, it's amazing what, what can happen to you when you commit... You know, you have to commit to something. If you don't commit, nothing's ever going to happen. And it, but once you commit, it's it's it seems, and I've heard it from so many other people that the the door will open, and the door opens there, and you something you, will happen. Something will happen. Something will happen. <laughs> and I'll tell you one other story, and it was uh, my my biggest uh, break uh, theatrically, which was uh, with David Mamet. I knew of his work, and I, I really loved his work. And um, my friend, my, my other friend, Jeff Pearson, we used to read his plays together, you know, everything. So I saw that uh, they were casting Lake Boat at the Long Wharf Theater, and it was uh, Deborah Brown was the casting agent. She had an office on 63rd and Broadway. And I had done a couple things, uh, and when I say a couple, I mean maybe two. I was cast out of Deborah Brown, so I thought, oh, I've got to get in on this, you know. And uh, so I call. I had my agent call, and um, the assistant said, "No, you know we like Ed, but uh, Mr. Mamet uses his own people, and they're bringing in half the cast from that did it at Milwaukee Rep, mm -hmm. and um, and the others are being filled in by his friends and people he's he's comfortable with." So I thought, "Okay, I'm out. You know, I can't get in." So the next day, I had to pick up some my check at O'Neill's Balloon, where I was working as a waiter. And, uh, no, I was no longer working as a waiter. But I used to go to O'Neill's Balloon, because I used to work there, and I get coffee. So I came out, and Deborah Brown's office was right across the street. So I never do this. I've never, I rarely ever do anything like this as an actor. But I, I looked up, and I thought, oh, he's up there, and he's reading people. Let me just go up there like, I don't know. I just stopped in. So I went up, got on the elevator, walked in. Secretary, hi, can I help you? I said, uh, is Deborah around? And she said, no, she's not. And I said, oh, okay. Can I help you? I said, no, I, I, I knew they're, they're doing a David Mamet play here, and I was just trying to, I wanted to ask Deborah if I could, you know, get an audition. She said, well, if you leave your name and, you know, your resume. And just then, the door over here opened. 
I never told you the story. No. It opened, and this guy walked out. And I looked at him, and I said, that's David Mamet. I had never seen David Mamet. And we're pretty much the same age. Yeah. And I looked at him, and he said, uh, hi. I said, hello. He said, are you here for the play? I said, uh, uh, the lake boat? Yeah, it's the only play that's here. I said, well, no, but I want to be. He said, well, why can't you be? I said, well, they tell me I can't audition for you. He said, that's ridiculous. I'm David Mamet. I said, how do you do? I met O'Neill. He says, okay, here we go. What part do you want to read for? I said, any of them or all of them? He said, oh, really? How about start with the pier man? The rest are cast. So it was a smaller role, but it was a difficult role, and it was a good role. And I said, fine. He said, can you come back at 2? It's like 11 a.m. I said, I'll be back at 2. Good, I'll see you then. Came back at 2, went in, read, got the part. And that was it. And I went to Long Wharf and got a very nice relationship going with David that lasts until today. You guys are still friends. Very good still friends. Still work together? Almost, you know, best of friends. Yeah. So... I'm just saying there's a lot of, um, what? What do you call that? I like the, You're just out there. You're the out there. There's the serendipity part of yeah, it. I yeah. mean, I like the combination of, of just dil and diligence and hard work. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just yeah, putting yeah. in the time. Because you work hard and to train and to make sure that you were <clears throat> ready when the opportunities were available. Behind me in this bookshelf, I've got my copy of Lake Boat in there. Mm -hmm. And if I took it out and showed you my rehearsals that I did alone in the hotel room while we were up in uh, New Haven, it's over 500 all the way through, uh -huh. you know, where I would market, 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 notes, 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 notes. And it's a one-act play. 500 yeah. just there. Yeah. Forget about the rehearsals. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you, you know. It's you put a, in the time. I put in the time. So there's the putting in the time and putting in the effort. Yeah. But there's also that just sort of following your nose, like, what's that guy doing here? He's, he's, there's a bit of cunning. There's a little bit of cunning, yeah, but also yeah, just yeah. that intuition of like, something's happening that I should be well, paying attention to. Well, you know, to. we're hunters after all. <laughs> you go back far enough, you know, the men hunt. Yeah. See a rustle in the brush. That's right, that's right, that's right. Drag the deer back in, you know. But then, and but and then, you prepare it. But, right, but then, oh, is that me? That well, that, well, unfortunately... <laughs> Historically. Uh, but then also the serendipity of just, you know, the door opens when the door opens, and you happen to be there, you happen to be there. Yes. You get yourself up to there, and then... Yes. And I think if, I, if I'm if i honest, I was talking a little louder than I usually do. Just on the off chance. That he may hear uh -huh. and come out to see what the noise was about. I like it that your conversation was almost a little man at play in and of itself between the two of you. It was. Yeah. It was, because that's kind of how he sounds, yeah. you know. Don't be ridiculous. That's ridiculous. I thought for you maybe, but it was uh, it was and he was writing at that time, uh, the verdict. He was working oh, on the yeah. verdict with Paul Newman that won all the awards, you know, and he was going back and forth from Boston and then New Haven, and then he was writing scenes, and I was watching him write the scenes, and it was it was it was exciting. That's so great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Do you have any words of inspiration or anything you wish people had told you, somebody had told you when you were well, about to take that big step? You know, advice is, as I said, is the easiest thing in the world to give, hardest thing to take. But I would say, uh, in all seriousness, that just 
and it's so hard to do, but just never give up on yourself. Just mm -hmm. don't, don't give up. Keep swinging. If you go down swinging, you go down swinging, but you'll feel better about yourself. Just keep trying. And um, perhaps you'll find a way. That's very inspirational. <laughs> if you've enjoyed this, but your time is limited and you'd like access to the rest of them, please hop over to therealsambennett.com forward slash freedom. That's therealsambennett.com forward slash freedom. And there you can opt in, get access to all these recordings and a bunch of fun freebies. We'd love to see you there. In the meantime, remember, the world needs your good work. Thanks, everybody.